darkness. The sky didn't make a sound. No breeze to soothe a weary soul. No tears of heaven to wash away the bloody timbers of the cross. We held our breath in disbelief. The guards watched in confusion. Jesus, the King of the Jews, is dead. How could this happen? We believed him. Is this the great deception of heaven? That we would be marked and misled by God? The prophets promised one who would save us, one who would bring freedom and healing. We thought it was this Jesus. We were sure it was him. But he is a man just like the rest of us. And now we are left all alone. I cast my mind to Calvary. Where Jesus bled and died for me, I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bowed and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb the entrance sealed by heavy stone Messiah still and all Darkness had won, heaven silent as a tomb. But then, out of the shadows, something happened. Then on the third, at break of dawn, the sun of heaven rose again. Oh, trample death, where is your Save us, one who would bring freedom and healing. 
are sure of it. He is a man just like the rest of us, but he is God, sent to redeem us. And now we stand together, never alone, singing praise to our God forever and ever with one voice to one name, the name above every other name, Jesus Christ, the risen King.
crowns with glory now the Savior knelt to wash our
Oh, Jesus, <laughs> you are alive, and we rejoice in your resurrection. Lord, you give us life here and now, and you give us hope for a future. Lord, we know that death has no power because the tomb is empty. And I pray that you would just continue to be in our midst. We've gathered together in your name, and therefore you are here with us. We want to leave this place changed because of our encounter with you. And so we just ask that you would continue to come press on our hearts and our minds that we may be open to what you may speak to us through the rest of this service. We love you, God, and we just want our lives to show that. It's in your son's precious and holy name that we pray these things. Amen. You can be seated. All right, everyone, I need you to pull out your marble Hopefully you haven't lost your marbles. I've been waiting for months to say that joke. <laughs> as soon as I found out I was doing this, I've been holding on to that one. Pull out your marble. You still got your marble? Everybody still got that? You're like, what in the world are we doing with marbles on an Easter Sunday? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked, right? What is, what's Easter all about? What's resurrection all about? It's, it's about Letting go of dead things so that we can what? We can grab hold of life-giving things, right? Letting go of death in order to grab hold of life. So we're just, going to do, we're just using these marbles as a very simple illustration this morning. Pastor Paul is going to come in, in just, a, just a couple of minutes, and he's going, to, uh, he's going to talk about this idea of what does it look like to, to let go of, of dead or dying things so that we can grasp hold of life and life giving things. And as he's doing that, and even right now, I want you to, I want you to think about your, now, a, a moment of, of honesty here. How many of you uh, actually can't find your marble? No shame. Not too much anyway. Nobody lost their marbles? Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I knew that somebody did. Come on, Tony. I knew that somebody had to have lost a marble. How many of you, when I said pull out your marble, you're like, uh, I, don't, I don't remember where it's at. I got to find it here. You're not sure which pocket you put it in or if you set it on your chair. Listen, we're, we're going to, as, as we go through this morning, we're going to use these marbles as to kind of signify some of those dead things in our lives. And, and a little bit later as we, uh, as we end with communion, you're actually going to have a chance to put this into practice, to literally let go of something in order to pick up something better, right? So Pastor Paul will give instructions later, but when we come forward for communion, you're gonna drop them in these, in these jars, and it's gonna be really loud and clanky, but I think that's okay. We can use our senses to hear, uh, hear our congregation letting go of dead things in order to pick up something life-giving. But I want you to think about these marbles because some of you, uh, some of you couldn't, you, you lost track of your marble. When I said pick up your marble, you weren't sure where it's at. And if we're thinking about dead things in our lives, things that maybe we need to let go of, if we're really honest, sometimes, man, in our life, there are so many dead things in our life that it's hard to keep track of, right? You're like, I know it's there because I can feel the weight of it, but sometimes, man, I've just lost track of it. Some of you, some of you, uh, you've been fiddling. Do we have any fiddlers here? Like where you're just, like, you're just playing with this marble, and this is a comfort thing, Right? I wonder if maybe we have some dead things in our lives sometimes that are actually comfort things, but it's still something that's dead. 
man, it, it, it feels good. It's not like it gives me comfort when I hold on to it and when I play with this in my feet. I wonder if there's dead things in our lives that, that are like that. It's not what's best for us, but man, it is so comfortable. Like it's so comforting and it makes me feel good, right? Take a look at your marble. Does anybody have, who, who thinks they have the, the prettiest marble in all the congregation? Bev, yours, yours is great, yeah. Mine's okay. I tried to get a pretty one. I like this one. It's kind of blue. It looks kind of like the earth. Marbles are pretty, right? They're shiny. They look good. Maybe that's the same with some of the dead things in our own lives, right? Where they look good and they're shiny, and you're like, oh, that's beautiful. But really, it's like it's not really the best thing, right? It's not really, and, and truthfully, Truthfully, sometimes the things that we hold on to that are dead aren't actually bad things, right? Maybe there's, maybe there's dead things in our lives that are actually good things, but it's keeping us from the best thing, right? It's keeping us from holding on to the best thing. So here's what I want. I want you to, this morning, as Pastor Paul comes in just a minute, hold on to your marble, right? Hold on to it. Don't, don't let it become a distraction because that's another thing, right? Sometimes the dead things in our lives they're a distraction. They distract us from what is best. Hold on to your marble as Pastor Paul is talking about these dead things. And I'm going to invite you to participate with us. As we come forward and we receive communion after Pastor Paul is done preaching, bring up your marble, drop it in the jar, and then grab your elements. We're letting go of dead things to hold on to something is better, that is better. And then as a congregation, I want you to listen. I want you to pay attention. I want you to hear the marbles drop into the glass because it's going to be loud. You're going to hear it. Listen to it. Pay attention. Listen. We as a community, letting go of dead things in order to grab hold of life-giving things. Pastor Paul is going to come and share. Thank you, Pastor Josh. You know, first are important. A lot of uh, things, you know, the first things that we, we celebrate. So I have some historic first. And what, what were these people famous first doing? George Washington. First president, right. Alexander Graham Bell. Telephone. Who was the first cell phone call? Anybody know? Martin Cooper was the first cell phone. Charles Lindbergh. Not around the world. First to fly across the Atlantic. Who was the first woman to fly across the Atlantic? Now, you guys were good, man. Neil Armstrong. Who was second? Buzz Aldrin, good. You guys are good. First are important. We celebrate first. You know, that's, that's our history lesson for today. Um, first in our lives, our first day of school. You know, it's, you know that's, a, that's an important thing. We send our kids off in that bus that first time. That's important. Our, our first driver's license. Anybody remember getting their first driver's license? When I got my first driver's license, you didn't have to pass the parallel parking part. Now you have to pass it, and I couldn't pass it. Um, First kiss, who? No, don't, don't say who. You know, your first kiss, uh, your first job. I remember my first real job other than mowing grass. My first job was with the IRS. That's right. That was my first non-mowing job. First dates. We all remember those first dates. First kid. You know, all these things. These first are important. And, and the importance of first is usually uh, they, they lead to more, uh, that there's seconds and thirds. And, and today we're going to look at a scripture that talks about first. And, and I believe the implication of the scripture is that this first will lead to more. Uh, that the intention was just not one, but many. And it's in Colossians 1, 
1, verse 15 through 23. It's this great hymn of the early church. Paul writes, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, the apostle, have become a servant. There, there's so much in this passage. And, and the unbelievable thing is, as I, I kind of wind up the pastoral ministry of my life, or at least for, for now, I don't know where God's going to lead me in the future, I, I've never preached this passage and in, in, in the hundreds of messages that I've preached. It's just unbelievable to me when I, when I think about it. This, this passage is worthy of a series. And, and as I was thinking about today's message... If I'm ever a full-time pastor where I'm presenting a message weekly to a church, this is the first passage I'm going to preach from. There's so much in this, and it's so full, and it gives us such a great idea of what God's called us to be and what the church is meant to be. But this morning, I'm going to focus on that simple phrase, firstborn from among the grave. It just, it, just, it just stood out to me as I considered this passage. I knew this was the passage I was going to present. And this phrase, this firstborn from among the dead. You know, our God has robbed the grave, that great line in that song that we sang. And, and this firstborn from among the dead. And there's this implication, this first implies a second. That God is calling us, that there's not just Jesus has been born from the dead, but he's the firstborn, which means there's second and third and fourth and on and on we go, born from the dead. Something more, it's an invitation. You know, truly Easter confirms life after death. That, that, that this is not the end. And, 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 and I'm thankful for that because there's people that we love. Sue, you're going to see your brother again. On this Easter Sunday morning, it is so alive in you because of 
last week. And, and all of us have faced that. In the last two years, Terry's lost her father. I've lost my father. Uh, Ines has lost her husband. And, and many of you have lost people that you love in your life. And I'm thankful for that, that eternal hope of Easter, that, that our God has conquered the grave, and there is more than what we see right here. Amen? There's people we're going to see and embrace again. Praise be to God. But the physical resurrection, physical resurrection means that there's more. That there wasn't a ghost that they saw, but Jesus was physically risen from the grave. He was bodily in their presence. And the point is more than just life after death. I'm thankful for the promise of life after death, but there's more to the promise than just life after death. John 1, 12 through 13 says, Yet to all who did receive to receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. There's that invitation of being born again in this lifetime. Two weeks ago, on New Life Sunday, we, we use this passage. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism to death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So the physical resurrection of Jesus has more implications than just life after death. Easter means we have life before death. And that is the invitation. And so this morning, I want to talk about not what life after death looks like. I, I, you know, I believe in that. I'm thankful for that. But what does life before death look like? What does the new not life look like? What, what are the characteristics? And the passage, the part of the scripture I'm going to focus on is this. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And so this passage begins, this verse begins with this ideal of reconciled. You know, tr truly we have been reconciled with God. We're, we're thankful for that. And we, we, we're, we're glad that God reconciles us to him. But this is not the emphasis of this passage. That this is not you are reconciled with God. This is you are reconciled with each other. That, that through the death of Jesus and the resurrection, we have been reconnected, truly reconnected with one another. We were created for connection. When God says in the garden, it is not good for man to be alone, God means that that we need community, we need each other, we need connection, and resurrection brings life to relationships. It brings life to family, to friendships, to neighbors. It's more than me and God, it's us. And there's practices Last week, uh, Dr. Doug gave us practices. There's practices that leads to reconciliation. Um, hospitality, 
and forgiveness are two practices of believers that builds relationship. And this is extended to all. So, so when you practice forgiveness and, and hospitality, it's not just intended for the household of faith. It's not just intended for believer. We are to practice forgiveness and hospitality to everyone. Jesus did, and we are as well. But, but something unique happens in a body when there's mutual forgiveness and there's mutual hospitality. You know, forgiveness is an important thing. But what happens when both individuals are mutually forgiving each other and welcoming each other into their presence? This is when you see reconciliation, what God intends for his people. And so the church is intended to be this body of mutual forgiveness and mutual hospitality where we are uniquely otherworldly connected to one another. You know, the scripture doesn't say, um, he has made you able to tolerate one another for an hour a week through his body. Reconciliation is something more. And church, the the challenge for us in these days is to be a body not just marked by toleration for one another, but a body marked by reconciliation. That when people look at us, they say their connection is otherworldly. It cannot be faked. They truly love one another. Holy. This new life represents a life of holiness. And, you know, there's a a lot of language issues that we have sometimes with this phrase. But but at its essence, it's this undivided. It's this sold out. It's it's complete. It all belongs to God. It's not... My spirituality is, is not something that I've added on. It's not, there's my life and then there's my religious activity. It's just, it's a, I'm a disciple of Jesus in every area of my life. Wherever I go, I am his disciple. I live as a father, a husband, a lawyer, a neighbor, an IU basketball fan as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is who I am. And there's practices that go with this as well. And it's a practice we don't talk about too often because it's tied to the Old Testament. It's this ideal of sacrifice. But but in in our sacrifice, it's not about giving a dead animal to God or or giving some type of grain offering. In in the New Testament ideal of sacrifice, it's not about giving something like that. It's about giving of yourself. It's what Jesus is talking about when he says, I want you to take up your cross and follow me. I want you to say, not my will, but your will. It's what Paul's talking about in Romans 12, 1 and 2, where he says, here's what I want you to do. And I'm using the message paraphrase. I want you to take your everyday, ordinary life. You're walking around, going to work life, and I want you just to give it to me. That is the practice of holiness. Blameless. Um, 
Now, the passage I read, the translation didn't use the phrase. Some of your translation says blameless. Uh, I can be, and, and if you never say amen in a service, this is a good time to say amen. I can be, you can be forgiven. Right? We can be blameless before God. God can see us as worthy of his love. We're worthy of his love, but, but acceptable and clean. And the practices for that is pretty easy. It's confession. Yeah, I've said this often. I'll say it again. A theology does not include a healthy dose of confession is a bad theology. We are confessing people. We are confessing church. We are constantly confessing. When God points out sin and failure in our life, we confess. So are you holding on to sins? Are you starting to justify sins? God doesn't want us to justify our sins. He wants us to confess our sins so he can forgive them and justify them. He doesn't want us to be self-justifying people. Maybe maybe it's something... (laughs) I've heard this phrase often in my growing up and you know that you know this ideal that you can feel like you can come too much to an altar we, we don't do the altar probably as much as we should and as much we have in the past but but I remember times in my life where it seemed like it was every day at the altar every Sunday at the altar let me tell you what I'll ride this altar into heaven if I need to right Maybe there's things you've confessed and and then the next week you, you deal with it again you, you know what the response is confess again Bring it to God again. Say, God, I'm still struggling with this root of bitterness. I'm still struggling with this sin. God wants you to confess and bring it to him again. And so there may be something you're dealing with, and maybe you've confessed it, and it's still creeping into your life, and maybe you just need to confess it again and allow God to work through that process of confession, growth in your life. Put this all together. Sometimes we accept lesser things in our faith. I've done that. I've accepted less than what God had to offer. Um, a couple of weeks ago in the, in, the, in the law office, I was trying to do something, and, and one of the um, administrative assistants showed me a tool in Word that made things like unbelievably easy. It was like, Wow! Folks, I'm still getting over WordStar, uh, and you guys don't even know what WordStar is. I'm still getting over WordPerfect. Anybody ever hear of WordPerfect? You know, s- sometimes we're like that in our Christian walk. We, we just hold on to lesser things. That God's saying, I have this in mind for you, and you're grabbing hold of this. You know, Josh handed out marbles, and this morning it's an invitation to let go of things and grab onto something better. Um, as a matter of fact, our next series is, is going to be called Letting Go of Dead Things. <laughs> and that sounds fun. You can come to stay tuned for that. And, and we're excited about that, letting go of dead things. Um, it's an invitation to let go of things this morning and to grab onto something better. You know, the, the, the marble oftentimes, it, it represents and, and uh, celebrate recovery, they'd use the phrase, hurts habits and hang-ups. <laughs> And people come into the church with hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And, and maybe there's a hurt or a habit or a hang-up you just need to let go of. What, what are you holding on to? The empty tomb invites you 
to let go. Maybe there's past relational hurts and you've held on to it for years. Can we be honest enough to to admit that sometimes we like to just to roll, uh, to wallow in those past relational hurts? We like the self-justification and the judgment that we can we can practice with somebody else. And sometimes we just flat like we would prefer to be hurt than let go of it. I, now see, I'm saying that and everybody's looking at me like, oh, I've never been like that, Pastor. Maybe, maybe it's not being open to others. Vulnerability. I mean, I'll, I'll admit, vulnerability is not the strongest thing for me. I like to be in control, right? And to be vulnerable, you have to be less than control. And maybe it's just you've not been open to people. And, you know, even an introvert is required to practice hospitality, but it may look a little bit different, right? Maybe you've had the wrong focus. Maybe you've been divided in your thinking. It's consumed too much of your time. What what, what do you need to let go of? What do you need to give God that you're holding on so tightly to that he can't give you something better? Maybe it's your finances. You understand, tithing is not what God wants from us. It's what God wants for us. And tithing is a habit that allows us to release ourselves from the tyranny, tyranny of materialism. It's, it's a practice that, that grows something within us. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's the past. Maybe it's the future. Some people are so consumed with the past and the future, they never live in today. And, and can I tell you, you can't be holy in today if you're completely in the past or completely in the future. Sins. I mean, I know you, you folks are good people. When was the last time you just said, God... I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I, I think of this in relational terms. and You know, the, the, there, there's times in every relationship, every relationship, they just have to say, you know, I messed up there. I'm sorry. Well, your relationship with God is the same. There, most of us have times in our life where we say, God, man, I really missed that there. I'm sorry. Are you justifying your sins or are you allowing God to forgive and justify As we let go of the marbles into the jars we receive communion, it may be hard. As Josh said, uh, maybe your marble's bright and shiny. You may be tempted to say, well, I don't have that many marbles. I think I'm going to keep this one. You may feel comfortable in your hand. Um, You know, you ever, whoever fishes, anybody ever fish? You know, sometimes with fish fishing, they use lures that are bright and shiny because that attracts the fish and it hooks them. <laughs> so there may be something bright and shiny that you just need to let go of because it's keeping you from better things. See, in communion, all these elements that we've been talking about are present. You know, it's, it's an invitation. It's a feast that invites us to something better, something fuller. It's what God wants for us not from us. So Josh comes, he's going to get the elements prepared. You know, Paul writes about taking communion in an unworthy manner. And when he's talking about taking communion in an unworthy manner, he's talking about relationships. 
talking about taking communion and not dealing with relationships in the church. It, it deals with being holy. It's the undivided self. It's we are sustained by Jesus, that, that we eat these elements and we're reminded that life comes from him and we're going to let go of lesser things and we're going to grab fully onto him. Blameless. In these elements, we are reminded that we are forgiven by the body and blood of Jesus. You know, Easter is an invitation to start fresh. It was two years ago, in 2020, that we did our first live stream. And we hated it. We did it, and we're glad we have this. But, but two years ago things have radically changed in the church. They did. Um, some are calling it the great reshuffle or the great resort. And, and so some in here, maybe in here or watching online, or um, you know, that's the only people I can worry about, people that's going to hear this. The, the, the truth is that COVID-19 and all the stress of the last two years, because there's been more than that, right, has caused this place where you've let go of commitments and you've let go of relationships. Um, maybe this is an invitation. Say, God, I'm going to let go of some of those things. I want to be restored. So I'm going to pray with us and then we'll be dismissed from the back and then I'll give you instructions on how to receive the elements. Lord, help us. Help us to let go of what's holding us back. Help us as we receive these elements to be reminded of a cross that, that you died on that tree. But Lord, may we also be reminded that you rose again and you are returning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. No matter what others may say, your darkest sins will be forgiven. You will always have a place at the table of grace. The cup's never empty. Plates always full, and it's never too late to come and be filled with the love never ending. You're always welcome at the table of grace. So come, you weak and heavy hearted. Try to hide your earthly scars, for in his eyes we are equal. Don't be afraid, come as you are. The too late to come and be filled.
It's uh, kind of funny to observe. Some of you just dropped them. Loud clang, it's okay. I mean, you put your hand all the way to the bottom of the jar to make sure it didn't clang. I kind of like that. Yeah. You know, the, the gospel, for, for it to work, there is an invitation to let go of your pride and say, I God I'm not worthy of this but you made me worthy and I need you and sometimes that works in our relationship with each other that that we have to let go of some of that pride and just say hey I need you I need you in my life so as we receive these elements we're reminded that the night that Jesus was betrayed he took the bread and he broke it he gave it to the disciples and said this is my body which is broken for you. Eat and be grateful. In the same way, he took the cup 
And he said, this is my blood which is shed for you. Drink and be grateful. Our Heavenly Father, um, we're thankful for Easter. We're, we're, we're thankful for the explanation point at the end of your story that Christ has risen that death no longer has authority over us where we're thankful for the promise of that future resurrection to be in your kingdom to be united with those who've went before but Lord we're also thankful for the um, the promise of a new day now new relationships blameless standing before you holy undivided serving you may we truly lord grab hold of what you have in mind for us in jesus name we pray amen stand with me we're going to sing a song in closing we sang this my first easter here eight years ago and so i ask if we could sing it my last easter here eight years later
God's grace and peace.